just wanting to, I, I meant to tell this to the first service because we had a lot of the kids in there, but we have some really talented dancers in our church. I don't even know if I should say that. But one of the, the move I saw the most was the worm, which I thought was really funny. So your kids are very talented. And we had such a good time with them over the week. But this morning, just like we did last week, and we're going to do the next two weeks, if you get here early, which you guys did, you will get to be blessed by our middle school and high school students who are going to lead us in worship for the first song. So thank you for being on time. You're never gonna let me 
serve a God who is good and who is never going to let us down. Welcome to Family Worship, our summer family worship series. We're going to continue our look at being, making, and sending disciples. And to kick us off, we have Major Laster representing our kids' ministry. And this morning, it is a participatory reading of the Great Commission. Uh, So listen to Major and follow along on the screen as we read the Great Commission together. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Oh, oh yeah, thank you. <laughs> Us. I cannot deny what I've seen. 
Father, we sing hallelujah for the cross. And Lord, I just say thank you today. This is Father's Day, and I thank you for all the fathers in the room that make it a point to bring their families to church and to lead out in that way and to speak your truth into their children.
to your many names that you deserve every single one. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears as the word is brought to us. Jesus, I thank you for all these families that are here and I thank you for this church. Thank you for the place that we have to meet and learn about you. In your name we praise and we pray, amen. Back to another family worship here at Fruit Cove for the summer. We're doing four weeks of family worship here together, and it's also Father's Day, right? Which is good that we're celebrating Father's Day, but let's be honest, it's, it's not as big of a deal as Mother's Day, <laughs> right? I mean, and it's kind of fair when you think about it, like, because when you think about, like, you know, nine months, a year afterwards, just, you know, and then the male contribution to life is just, it doesn't compare, right? Yeah, so... Mothers, we just kind of honor you, but dads, like, you get a day too. Yeah, so, yeah, right? So, so here's the thing. As a dad, you carry immense weight and influence. Whether you're a good dad, a bad dad, a neglectful dad, absent dad, abandoning dad, whatever role you're in, you still carry the same amount of weight you don't even have to be there and you still carry this amazing burden and weight and influence because you're dad. You see, God chooses to relate to us in many ways and many different titles and many different names. But one of, I think, his favorites is Father. Jesus referred to God as his Abba, or his, his dad. He refers to us, his people, as his Children. The New Testament refers to us as sons and daughters of God. See, the, the message of Father's Day, in some ways, is that as Christian dads, we represent the presence, the authority of God to our families. So many times I meet people who do not want to become Christian because of their relationship with their father. We're in our Be, Make, Send Disciples series. Uh, this this uh, series, we're talking about what a disciple is, what it means, what it looks like to act like a disciple. A disciple, quite simply, is a student. That's what that word translates to. Uh, Jesus referred to his followers as his disciples. Last week, Pastor Jonathan spoke specifically about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, when we, when we talk about being a disciple of Jesus, we're asking questions, what's our nature, personality, character, worldview, even the essence of being like Jesus, of being one of his disciples. So at Free Cove Baptist, if you have your little booklet that we gave out last week, there's some more copies, looks like this, on the back, just as a reminder, it says, a disciple is one who acts and thinks like Christ, one who responds, sorry, recognizes and responds to the will of God. Now, as a disciple, we are headed towards a destination, right? We're not just learning to learn. There's actually something that we're working towards, a goal that we're working towards. Ephesians 4.13 says, the fullness of the measure of Christ is our standard. That's our banner. And everything in our life is to be measured according to him. And here's the truth. 
the truth of the gospel, none of us will ever measure according to that standard. None of us will even come close, okay? All of us are fallen. But not just that, we become more like Christ, but we recognize and respond to his will, what he wants from us. Now, let me give you a disclaimer, okay? Anybody who has followed after Jesus Christ is a disciple. But there are going to be varying degrees of maturity for that disciple. If you've been walking with Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years, you should look different than someone who's been walking with Jesus for a day, right? The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you should look like Jesus, think like Jesus, walk, talk, act, love like Jesus loves. Our theme verse for the series, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, we kind of get this a little confused in the English because in our traditional translations, it says go, right? Very strong go. But, but the imperative in the original language is actually not on go. It's on make disciples. Matter of fact, a better translation for go is as you go or since you have gone or having gone Something like that would be a much better understanding of go. It's the idea that you've already been going. So Jesus comes with a baseline assumption that his disciples are going on mission. Matter of fact, I can make a really good biblical argument that there is no such thing as a disciple of Jesus Christ who's not going. Because you're either the disciple who's going or there's something askew in your relationship with God. Why? Because Jesus is a goer. Jesus came. Jesus sought. Jesus pursued. And if we're to become like him, then we're to be like him. And we're to go. So the command is to make disciples, okay? A disciple of Jesus Christ, we are to reproduce ourselves reproducing our faith in God into others. Quite simply, that is the Christian call. And it's always been the call. Before sin entered the world, God commanded Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because he wanted to cover the globe in his image so that every nook, cranny, island, corner of this world would be covered with image bearers of God. Now, listen, at least we got something right, Okay. Because as humanity, we messed up everything else, but we've got eight billion of us now covering the globe. And like, you know, it's kind of like David Livingston. They show up to new places and they're like, oh, there's people here. We thought no one lived out here in the middle of this jungle or this desert or this island. And, and all of a sudden, we're still finding people. Why? Because we've covered the nation. We've covered, we've covered the world. In the Old Testament, God says to Abraham and Sarah, I'm gonna make you a great nation. She laughs, that doesn't go well for her. I'm going to make you a great nation, so much that it's going to be more than the stars, so immeasurable, and you're going to bless the other nations. And that was through his descendants, ultimately leading to Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, the command is make disciples, reproduce yourself, because God wants to cover the world. Ultimately, we read in Revelation that we continue making disciples until every people 
every ethnicity, every nation, tribe, and language hear about Jesus Christ. So it's not just like come, hang out, sit on our little pew and enjoy the Christian life. It's make disciples. We have a goal and we have a target, and that target is until every corner of the world has heard and responded to the name of Jesus Christ. Now that sounds impossible, quite truthfully impossible, because if, if you just think about us, and I mean like we're healthy, we're a good church, but we do not have the resources to go to every single corner. We've got the Holy Spirit and he can go. So there's got to be some sort of system, there's got to be some sort of program, there's got to be some kind of idea that God put in place for the making of disciples so that this task is actually possible, right? To answer that question, I want us to go to 1 John 2, 12 through 14. And what I want to do is talk about the different stages of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is very difficult kind of sometimes to define. Uh, a lot of times we just think it's good people doing good stuff, right? Don't smoke, don't chew, don't date the girls who do, right? Like, it's just, <laughs> what, that's what my parents told me, okay? Like, it's, we got to be good people, raise our kids to be good people so that they can make us look good, right, in the community. And that's not really spiritual maturity. That's moralism, that's behavioral modification, but that's not the gospel, Sometimes we think it's like monks up in a monastery, right? Up in the Alps or something like that, living in total seclusion so the world can't touch them. But Jesus said it is from inside of you is where all unholy things come from. You can't escape sin. So spiritual maturity has got to be something else, right? 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Using 1 John 2, 12 through 14, I want us to look at what God is looking for in his disciples as we mature. So let's read that together. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I tell students all the time, like, underline. That's your sins are forgiven for his namesake. That's a great one just to highlight. Pocket it away. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So right here we have three spiritual stages of maturity, and the first one is class? Children, children good, okay. All right, don't worry, you got two more tries. All right, so children, okay. The second one is young men, and then the last one, fathers. Now here's the thing, there's actually a fourth one, but it's not mentioned here because John is writing to the church, so he's writing to all believers. The first stage is what I'm going to call orphans, keeping the language of families. Spiritual orphans are those who are spiritually lost. They have no relationship with God. They have no register on their spiritual maturity scale because they're not even spiritually alive. 
John started with children. But I refer to spiritual orphans because of the language found in um, Psalm 68, 5. The psalmist says he would be a father to the fatherless. Remember, God likes to refer to us, his children, as the father. And that's the relationship we have. See, God welcomes everyone with father's love. Recently, I was in London with some of our juniors and seniors, and it's funny, like, we have no concept of history. Like, one girl made a comment about how American history was kicking her butt, that class, and they just kind of giggled. <laughs> they were like, American history, right? And then later, we're like going through uh, the town of Swindon, and on the right, they're like, oh, here's some of the newer houses. I was like, oh, cool. How, like, how old are they? And they're like, oh, 1700s. <laughs> like, 1700s. And then he like drove us further and further into the city, and we're like, oh. We have no concept of it. Like, I remember one time I was over there, I met a guy who owned a book that's older than our country. And I'm just like, it puts things into perspective. As Americans, we have no concept of what old is. But while we're in the city of London and we're walking around, uh, we come to this uh, church and I was introduced to a guy named Thomas Watson, pastor there. Now, I just kind of at the moment just took out my phone and typed in his name, and I was like, awesome, this will be, I'll look this up later. And here's the good part. If they've been dead for a really long time, then you can get domain-free books on Amazon. And so that's what I did. I went and downloaded all these free books. And so I found one by him. Listen to what he talks about when we're talking about spiritual orphans. Just listen to this phrasing here. He spreads their table every day, yet they do not love him. Sinners fear God as a judge, but do not love him as a father. All the strength of the angels cannot make the heart love God. Judgments will not do it. Omnipotent grace alone can make a stony heart melt in love to God. How sad it is to be empty of love to God. When the body is cold and has no heat, it is a sign of death. Just so he is spiritually dead who has no heat of love in his heart for God. Will such people live with God who do not love him? You see, God is drawing the spiritual orphan to himself, but he's not doing it through rules and regulations. Now, as Christians, sometimes we tend to do this. You're like, hey, yeah, come to church so you can dress like us, look like us, talk like us, do all the things that we do and follow like the list of do's and don'ts and thou shalt nots. But that's not the pathway to God, is it? No, it's through the love of God that's the pathway to God. He's the one who loved us in this while we were still yet sinners. Christ died for us. We didn't do anything to even become more lovely for him. But he chose us because he loves us and pursued us with all of his might. If you really want to make disciples, and hear me this, if this is all you hear, this is a great place to start. It starts with brokenness over the lost. We become so callous to seeing lostness in our culture. We pass by them like, like it's just another day. Why? Because we're busy and we're callous and we're doing so many other things. Our, our minds, our attention is, is on different stuff. But really what God wants from us is he wants us to see people like he sees them. Spiritual orphans who need a father. 
And so just as he is pursuing them, so we must pursue them. So we must try and reach our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family, so that they too can know Father God. Now when they make that step from orphan into child, everything changes. So here's our first stage that John talks about children. A spiritual child is a brand new Christian. These people were formerly lost in their sins, but now their sins are forgiven, and they've shifted to now they have a relationship with God. Okay, the energy and the excitement in a church comes when you have new Christians in the church. Here's what I mean. How many of you have a brand new baby or grandbaby? Anybody? People are procreating in here? Yes? A few of us? Okay, okay. So, okay. So, you get your brand new baby. What do you do? You take pictures and selfies, right? You take, you post them on the gram. If you don't know gram, because you haven't made that yet, you post them on Facebook, right? And so you post them everywhere for everyone to see. And then you go to see family or a doctor, some random guy in Publix, and you're like, hey, do you want to see pictures of my brand new grandbaby? And you're so excited. And here's the thing. They're not doing anything but making messes and screaming and stuff, right? But listen, it's exciting. It's new life. And then once they start to grow and they just become this insatiable little learner, right? What do they do? They, they learn to like roll and everyone's like, oh, they rolled, right? And they're posting pictures, right? And then they learn to crawl and then they learn to walk and then what? Run. And then you have to like chase them everywhere. And you're like, no, don't touch the socket, right? Like, and, and you're trying to be a good parent, right? And everywhere you go, you're just like, stay alive, right? And so you're just trying to like be the good parent, right? And everything about them is fun, it's exciting. Spiritual children are just the same way. They come in, and all of a sudden, church is fun. They open up the Bible, and they're like, I never knew that was in there. And they're excited to grow and to learn. Some of them used to come to church, and they would say, I will never sing ever. Some of you are still hanging out in that group. And then all of a sudden, they sing. It might be on one note but that's fine because they're excited and they're singing. Why? Because they're responding joyfully because of what God has done. Why? Because something happened in their life that moved them from a spiritual orphan to a child of God. And if there's nothing in that moment that changes you, if there's nothing different from A to B, then there's something wrong. Old phrase is if there's no change in your life, then there's something strange about your faith. And I'm not saying that all of us were ax murderers before we came to Jesus, okay? What I am saying is that something, maybe your language, your priorities, where you throw your money around, who you associate yourself with, that changes. Why? Because it's a joy to follow after Jesus Christ and you have new life in you. Children of God. It says that your sins have been forgiven and you now have a relationship with the Father. Spiritual children are often the most grateful Christians in the church. Because as we get older, we kind of get removed from remembering what it was like. Put this in perspective. I was saved when I was very young, so I don't have like this crazy backstory as a second grader just being, you know, terrible, right? Because I got saved when I was eight. That means the majority of my sins I have committed after I became a Christian. Ponder on that. I knew better and chose to do whatever I wanted. 
You see, when new Christians come to church, there's still a freshness to their faith. And that child knows the Father. They have a relationship. And the more they know the Father, the more they want to know the Father. And all the indicators of spiritual fruit begin to pop up. Everything in their life begins to skew differently. Why? Because they are different. Being leads to doing. It's not the other way around. Last, a spiritual child bears the name of Jesus. Verse 12 again says, Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Jesus' name. Just like every one of us, we have a family name and we belong to that name. When you become a Christian, you have a new sense of belonging. And it is the name that does it. It's the name that carries the power. John wrote this in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31 of his gospel. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, it's the name of Jesus that gives you life because the name of Jesus carries power and authority. His name, we're told, is above every name. It is the name that will cause every knee to bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. If you're a Christian, then you bear that name. You become a representative of power and authority of the name of Jesus Christ. You've moved from death to life. You've become a son and daughter of God. So let's go to the next stage, young men. This can also apply to young women, so that we're just all being equal in here. All right. There are three things that describe the young men. The word of God lives in you. You're theologically strong, and you're overcoming the evil one. Now, each of these are advances from the previous stage. Let me explain how John worked this out for us to understand. The descriptors of one stage tell you the needs of the prior stage. So for example, children of God, forgiveness of sins, and they have a relationship with the Father. Who needs that? The orphans. That's what their primary need is. So the needs then of the children are the descriptors of the young men. Theologically strong, the word of God abides in them, and they are overcoming the evil one. Those are the three needs of that stage to get them to this stage. Now, let's break these down and how they step. It says, your sins are forgiven for the child. It advances to the word of God lives in you. So your sins are forgiven. You start out in a relationship with God. You've been forgiven, but now the word of God, better translation, abides in you. A baby is a dependent eater, right? Have you ever had that moment when the child that you've been feeding peas for like years all of a sudden just, right? And you're like, what happened? You were eating these just fine yesterday, and now you don't want, all right, so what do you do? You do the airplane, we all do it, right? Like, scoop up something, you're like, here it comes, right? And as soon as they go, ah, you're like, in, right? Chew, 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 right? And you're like, here, eat something, right? All right, okay, maybe not that violent, okay, <laughs> but I don't know, some of you, but like, it's up to us as parents to decide what is good to eat, what is not good to eat, because they put everything in their mouth at that stage, right? We have to make sure that they're getting the nutrients and the health that they need. Listen, in the church, it's the same way. 
If you're a dependent spiritual Christian, then what you're saying is, I need someone else to feed me. We come in week after week, we sit in our little spiritual high chair called the pew, and we say, all right, preacher, feed me. Or, I'm not going to ask for hands, but how many of us, we leave, I didn't get much out of the preacher's sermon this Sunday. You see, if we're doing this the right way, as spiritual young men, young women, then Monday through Saturday, we're spending time in God's word, and we're dining for ourselves. We're, we're finding the source of wisdom. We're searching out God's will for our lives. So that by the time we get here on Sunday, it's just a response of everything that God has been doing as an overflow for a whole week. Amen. Why? Because we're feeding ourselves. There's a hunger in us. The best Bibles are old and worn out, not the ones that are dusty. So the young man feeds himself, then it says that he's strong, and I say theologically strong. He knows the word of God, and he knows how to apply it. He knows how to use it. He's not blown around by every little wave of doctrine or wind that comes by. He's not a ship without a sail. He has a trajectory. He knows how to, he knows how to use God's word effectively in his own life. The last one it says that they're overcoming the evil one. Now there's two main applications this could be. One could be sin in your own life, and you're allowing God to work through you to reshape your heart, to change your desires, then your behaviors. Jesus doesn't work on your behaviors first, he works on your wants first. And if you don't wanna do it, then you don't do it. So there's that application, which is best done in a community with other Christians. Because as you're all coming through, studying God's word, applying it, praying it back to God, God's giving you new information, then you can go to other Christians and be like, all right, this is what God's teaching me, right? You always wanna make sure you're not the only one sipping on your own Kool-Aid, right? So you go to others and you're like, okay, what do you think about this? And we start having this dialogue as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we grow. The other application is evangelism, sharing your faith, pushing back the darkness. Philemon 6, I pray that you have the knowledge of every good thing that we have in Christ through the sharing of your faith. In other words, you will not have the knowledge of every good thing that we have in Christ unless you share your faith. There comes a certain point where we're forever going to be stunted in our spiritual growth if we do not share our faith. Now, here, here's a statistic that blew me away. Nine out of 10 Christians will go through their entire lives and never share their faith, which means the vast majority of Christians are never becoming mature Christians. Where maybe we're still stuck in a consumeristic idea, I don't know. But what I do know is we're not experiencing the full life that Jesus has planned for us. And listen, it's... It's one of the coolest things, okay? It's not like a sense of duty, like I have to go share. It's I want to go share. It's a joy. Because when you're sitting there and you're, you're talking to somebody and you see them step from death to life in that moment, you feel the power of God at work in you to call the lost to himself. And you get to be a part of it. It's such a cool experience. I got to do it twice with two young boys this past week, one in VBS and one outside. 
where God got to just use me, and I got to be there. And it's so energizing, it's so much fun. See, we share Christ not because it's a duty, but because it's a joy. We love to do it. And we have lots of opportunities in this church to teach you how to do this, to come join with some of us. Just ask around, we'll find the right spot for you. We have to push back the darkness. Now, the last stage is the fathers. Now, I love whenever I, I go and I'm teaching this to like teenagers or something, I say, what makes someone a father? And you always get like, the kids like, well, he's big, he's strong, he's smart, and like the wife's in the corner like, that's not how that works, right? No, 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 how, how does a guy become a father? <laughs> a kid, that's it. All right, 10 years ago, I became a dad, okay, and they brought Julia, put her in my arms, and I remember I had this thought, now what? And I remember my dad actually said, well, you can't send her back. I was like, well, obviously, but it's like, I don't know, I just like thought all this time about making sure the house was ready and that we had the car seat in and like all these thoughts, right? And now I'm like, what, what do I do now? And I'm just being honest, I'm making it up as I go. Come on, we're all doing it, right? The first one is like the guinea pig and like as you go down the line, you get a little bit better, but then they're all different. So what worked for one won't work for the other, right? And so now you're like, I gotta start all over again, right? And I'm just trying to figure out how this parenting thing works. Simple, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I'm responsible. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm responsible for you. It's the same thing in church. When you see that person step from death to life, you say, okay, I'm, I'm gonna take responsibility for you and your spiritual maturity to help you grow to know God, like, I'm not saying I got everything figured out, okay, like, I'm still in this journey and will be in this journey because again, it's the measure of the fullness of Christ. So I've got a long ways to go. But I can teach you what God has taught me so far. And we just walk with people through that experience. Now, we're tempted to think that's what disciple making is. And it's close, we're almost there. But it's not really the end. Because the real test of your parenting is not necessarily with your children, it's with your grandchildren. In the same way I refer to how many of you have new grandbabies, spiritual grandfatherhood is the best. Because you have not just raised someone to follow Jesus, you've raised someone to make more disciples. You've produced a reproducer. And it's one of the best feelings. Because then all of a sudden, some kid shows up at your house one night, you've never met him before, and you're like, hey, my name's Jason. And you start getting to know him, and you're like, so how'd you hear about us? Oh, there's this guy who you discipled, and he discipled me, and that's why I'm here. And in that moment, you're just so proud. You're so proud, because like, you're doing it, and he's doing it. And we're all following this great commission because like, I'll just be honest, like I do a lot of things as a pastor, okay? Like I go on trips and camps and flights, long flights, some of them with your children. And I'm just saying, I'm just being real, okay? Like sometimes, and it's, it's just like all of these things are good, but when you meet somebody who has become a disciple because someone you discipled, that's when you know you're doing the great commission. That's when it's not just being a pastor, because that's not part of my calling. 
That's all of us. We're raising self-sufficient, independent Christians who know not to be dependent upon us, but fully dependent on the Jesus Christ who restored them and redeemed them, and they become reproducers. That's how we end up at every nook, cranny, corner of the globe. It's not addition, it's multiplication. Because every one that I reach reaches one and two and four and eight, and on it goes and goes. Spiritual fathers know him who's from the beginning. We have a walk that looks more and more like Christ. It's not perfect. It's not easy. It's never complete until one day we see him. And so here we are. We have four stages of spiritual maturity. Orphans who become children, who become young men, and who become fathers. I challenge you to consider where you're at on this little matrix. And who are you helping in the journey? Go share the gospel. Find someone who needs to grow. Take responsibility for them. And say, I want to help you. Because if we can do this, we will make disciples. Let's pray. God, I pray for everyone in this room, God, that we won't make disciples because it's something that we have to do or have a duty to do, but it's a joy to do, to make disciples. God, if there's anyone in here and they resonated with that orphan, they've never experienced you or your power or your presence in their life, God, I pray that today is the day they'll find you, they'll find family, they'll find belonging. God, if there's anyone in here and they were challenged spiritually, God, just help them to take the next step. Whether that's saying, I need to grow or I need to go. Because Jesus, it is a joy to call people as you have called them. In just a minute, I'm going to ask that as the music begins, if you want to give your life to Jesus, come down front. There'll be pastors and encouragers here who want to talk to you. If you've never taken the step of baptism and publicly stating your faith in front of others, you can come down and do that as well. If you just want to be prayed over or join our church, this is going to be your opportunity. Someone will be here to talk with you as well. Jesus, I pray that you'll work in ways that only you can work through the power of your Holy Spirit and the presence of your word at work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So
Thank you. You can be seated for just a moment. It's so good to see you this morning and to be able to worship with you. And I just want to take a minute to um, just say thank you for the countless people who came and served and made Vacation Bible School my very first week at any job, uh, my favorite very first week at any job. It was fantastic. Um, let me introduce you to uh, Megan and Melissa. Megan is, serves as our uh, director of preschool. Melissa serves as our director of children. And these two ladies led an amazing team of volunteers and staff this week who ministered to well over 800 children, um, had over 1,000 people on campus at Vacation Bible School, gave nearly $8,000 to missions, and we saw nearly 50 children receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior this week as a result of Vacation Bible School. We're so thankful, so thankful for the team that we have here and for all of you who came and served. And kids, I know there's a lot of kids here in their VBS shirts. Y'all did great in church today. Thank you for being with us. Um, excited to let you know Everly Kroll came today. Having given her life to Jesus, she wants to be obedient in believer's baptism today. And so we're very thankful for that. And then um, I, I, I kind of threw Pastor Jason through a loop, but my family, we came forward to join the church today. And so the Woolman family officially wants to join 
Um, I, I believe that church membership matters, and it's a way for us to display the covenantal relationship between God and his church. And as we join together, we can do things like VBS, and we can do things like sending mission teams all over the world. And I'd encourage you, be praying for our Denver team who's serving right now um, in Colorado. And we have a team about to go in the next couple of days to Romania who will be serving for the next few days. And so I just want to encourage you to pray for them. If you want to hear all of the things going on here at Fruit Cove, there's QR codes on the pews and all over campus. You can scan those with your phone. And if you're a guest and you want to hear about how you can be a part of the church family here at Fruit Cove, as soon as we get done, there'll be some greeters in the pavilion area outside. We'd love to share with you about what we do as a church, who we are, and how you can be a part of that. And let me just say thank you for those of you who give so sacrificially. You know, we saw a lot of decorations and a whole lot of snacks and a lot of crafts and a lot of things that made VBS a great experience this week. And that happened because of our church family and your faithful giving. And so thank you for partnering in the ministries here and for being a part of what God is doing right here in St. John's County. And as we're sending people literally to the ends of the earth, we are so thankful to be a part of that and partnering with you in that. And so I'm going to invite you. We're going to pray together as we close. Then we'll read the Great Commission and send off. And as soon as the Great Commission is done and you're dismissed, they're going to play the VBS recap video. So if you want to see that, feel free to stick around for a minute to watch that as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the amazing testimony of what you have done this week at Vacation Bible School. We thank you for the dozens and dozens of children who gave their life to Jesus for the very first time saying, we wanna be disciples and followers of Jesus. Let those children be a testimony to us as we recognize our need for a savior because of the deep sin in our life. And as we turn to you to change us and to draw us and to lead us as we strive to be disciples who make disciples. Father, I thank you for Pastor Jason and the message that he gave today. I thank you for Everly and her decision to be obedient in believers' baptism. I thank you for giving my family a church home to be a part of and to worship with. Be with us, Lord, as we leave today. Don't let Sunday end, Father, but help us carry what you have done in this place into our Mondays. Help us be on mission for you. Help us keep our eyes fixed on you and look for opportunities to share you with a lost and dying world. Father, we celebrate all that you have done and we look forward with anticipation for the things that you will continue to do. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm so excited about the emphasis on discipleship from our staff. It really is a blessing to have it on our minds and hearts and to be obedient, uh, as Jesus said, the Great Commission with authority. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This concludes our worship service. Here we go.